Hello and welcome to the Motor City Hoops podcast. If you are new to the Motor City Hoops podcast, I'm your host, Bryce Simon, a former D1 hooper, current teacher, coach, husband, father of three amazing kids, and contributor at Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. Before I introduce yet another amazing guest for this week's episode, and the third from basketballnews.com over the past few weeks, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to episode 87 with Mark Schindler, where we talked about his Cade Cunningham article and NBA draft prospects. I also recently dropped Killian Hayes' all-defense and Kelly Olenek return to play articles on Detroit Bad Boys that I'd love for you to take a look at. Please follow us on Twitter at Motor City Hoops and subscribe to the Motor City Hoops YouTube channel so you never miss out on any new content. But let's get today's guest who I'm absolutely pumped and honored to have on the podcast. The chief content officer for the amazing basketballnews.com, formerly of Hoops Hype and USA Today Sports, Alex Kennedy. Alex, welcome to the Motor City Hoops podcast and thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for uh, the amazing introduction. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. We've been excited about this one for a long time. A uh, friend of the podcast, Matt Issa, who now writes and, and works for you guys there at Basketball News, kind of set this up and we've been juiced about this. We thought this was the perfect time to bring you on with the trade deadline as well. So as the Pistons Twitter and Pistons community as a whole is about to explode leading up to this trade deadline, you can imagine where we'll spend most of our time during this episode. Along with those, we will get to Alex a little bit about some thoughts on this young Pistons core, but also the NBA at large and what's going to happen over the next few days. But first, Alex, I want to ask you about what you guys did today. Monday afternoon, basketball news trade deadline preview. How did that go and where can people go watch if they missed that this afternoon? Yeah, basically, we spent an hour and a half previewing uh, all the different notable players uh, to keep an eye out on, you know, teams to watch. We basically just previewed everything leading up to the deadline. Uh, you know, you mentioned Matt and Mark. They were on there. Nikias Duncan, Spencer Davies. We had a lot of us on there, but uh, it was a lot of fun. It, you can watch it on our YouTube channel at Basketball News and then also on our Twitter account. Uh, you can watch the replay there. And then actually this Thursday from 1 p.m. Eastern time to 4 p.m. Eastern time, we're going to be going live. We're reacting to every single uh, trade that happens, every rumor that pops up. So we'll be live for three hours on Thursday too, reacting. So if you're looking for a way to stay up to date on all the latest uh, trade rumors and, and deals that go down, definitely check us out on Thursday. Yeah, you guys definitely need to check that out. The one they recorded, this would, I, I keep saying this afternoon, obviously when you're listening to this, it'll be yesterday, but Monday afternoon, they recorded that one. And then like Alex just said, make sure you tune in on Thursday and listen to that. But let's get to, let's get to the Pistons here to start, Alex. And we'll, and we'll get into a lot of it. We'll get some general NBA, but the Pistons do have, I don't know if he's one of the bigger names. You can tell us whether, what you think about that. But Jeremy Grant is a name that's on the trade block, been, you know, talked about for, for, I feel like a couple months now almost. What are you hearing? What are you thinking about a possible Jeremy Grant trade? Maybe not specifically, but just kind of big picture, whether this is going to happen and if you think it should happen. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, his name has popped up so much, uh, you know, throughout this year. And uh, I think there's, he's one of those guys that, um, there weren't any specific teams being linked to him until recently. I know he had given the Pistons a list of teams he wanted to play for. I do think there's some teams that are kind of scared off by, you know, the rumors that he wants a, an extension in the 25 to $28 million range. Uh, Michael Escato from Hoopsype came to my podcast yesterday and said he's heard that, you know, executives are a bit scared when they hear that kind of stuff. And there's truth to that, uh, that he wants that extension. So, I think uh, it's interesting. He's a really hard guy to gauge as far as his trade value and what the market is. I know, uh, you know, James Edwards from the Athletic had a report today that 
uh, the Wizards, the Blazers, and the Kings seem like the teams that are mainly being linked to Grant at this point. Apparently the Nets poked around too, but I don't think there's anything there. It seems like they're not really a serious suitor. So those three teams are the ones to watch, I think. And it's interesting because they're all kind of in a similar position. They're all kind of desperate. Uh, The Wizards have had tons of behind the scenes issues and struggles recently. You know, they're trying to keep Bradley Beal happy leading into this offseason. You know, they've been linked to uh, Sabonis as well. And then, you know, the Kings, obviously, they're trying to end their playoff drought. And and they also have tons of players that are popping up as, you know, possible trade chips. And then the Blazers, you know, they've already made one move with Norm Powell and Robert Covington heading out to the Clippers. They are trying to keep Dame Lillard happy. There's are, you know, rumors that they might be looking to move CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic. So those are the three teams to watch, it sounds like. I think what it comes down to is, will one of these teams meet Detroit's asking price? I know uh, Scotto had reported that the pist- the Pistons want, you know, a young player, a talented young player and a first round pick or two first round picks and expiring contract. I would imagine after seeing what Karis LeVert went for yesterday uh, that the Pistons are going to, you know, basically stick to that uh, asking price. So we'll see if, if some team is willing to meet that. But uh, I'm curious to see what happens with Grant, because I feel like last year he was kind of popping up in trade rumors, too. And then the Pistons just said, we're in no rush to move him. We can just hold on to him uh, and push this thing down the road. So the same thing could happen. If they don't like any of the offers that are on the table, they could easily wait until the offseason or next year's trade deadline to make some kind of move. Yeah, and I think that's what's interesting. And, and you continue to hear some more reports about this that they may be willing. I, I still think eventually Jeremy Grant gets traded. Um, but, you know, it, it does make sense or you can understand where Troy Weaver would feel like he could wait till the offseason because I do think, and I want to talk about the money part of it, I do think whatever team trades for him knows they're going to probably have to give him the extension. Now, whatever that number ends up being, um, I don't know what it is. But, you know, I think he's probably going to be a long-term guy. He's not necessarily a rental because it seems like he is like adamant about getting that extension. So I just want to ask you, there's a lot to unpack from your first answer there. I took notes, so we'll we'll bounce around to all of it. But the first thing is, do you think he's worth that money? And I know you don't watch the Pistons night in and night, Alex. Uh, you know, our listeners understand that as well. But just like what you've heard, what you've seen, what he's shown in the last year and a half, do you think he's worth a... Is it a four-year $100 million, four years $120 million? Like, is he worth that if he gets traded to a new team? It's a great question. Uh, it's, it's interesting, too, because he's an interesting guy because, you know, he has shown that, you know, he can take on additional responsibilities and, and score the ball like he's done in Detroit. We've also seen him in that complimentary role in Denver where he was, you know, a key contributor on a really good team. So if he goes to a new team, is he going to be playing that Denver role again? Now, obviously, it might be a little bit different because he's shown more since then. But if he goes to a team and is the third or fourth option is in more of a complimentary role, would they be able to justify? paying him $28 million a year, which is, I think, Jake Fisher. That's the number that he reported that he's looking for. So it's a lot of money. Uh, It really depends on the situation, I think. And I think if you're Jeremy, I think you have to decide what you're prioritizing here. You know, do you want that money? Do you want to be the number one option somewhere? Do you want to be on a winning team? It's going to be really difficult for him to land in a situation that checks all of those boxes. So I think it really comes down to, you know, what he cares about the most. Uh, but yeah, I think that money is really tough to justify. I would say uh, it depends on the situation, but I lean toward no. And I think that's why, you know, hearing that some teams were scared off by that report. Uh, I think there's definitely teams around the NBA that feel he's not worth that money. Uh, but again, it, it does come down to what situation he's in and how he's being utilized. 
So what would scare you off a little bit more? Would it be the money or there's some other reports that have talked about he wants to be the number two option where he goes or, or, you know, even if we don't say like number one, two, three, if like, if you don't like that, or if the listeners don't like that, he has said he wants to be a main option in an offense. And I think here in Detroit, we've seen that we've seen him last year. He was the definite number one um, this season, whenever he has played, which hasn't been a ton of games. He's coming off the injury now. Um, he's obviously one of the main options, not necessarily the number one guy with Cade Cunningham, but would it scare you more like thinking that Jeremy Grant would want that many touches on your team? Like, do you think you can be a real contender if he's the number two option on your team getting the most shots? I think that scares me more. Just the thought that, you know, he's going to want to play that pivotal role and be kind of utilized like a star player. You know, he's someone that isn't very efficient. Last year shot 42.9% from the field. This year he's shooting 40.8% from the field. You know, his three-point shooting has struggled this year, 33% from the, from three. I think, uh, you know, I understand why he wants that role. <laughs> I think a lot of these guys around the NBA feel like, hey, I'm just as good as, you know, these star players and I, I deserve X number of shots. And uh, of course he wants to be treated like a star, but I think he'd have more value if he was open to playing a lesser role like we saw in Denver, where, I mean, the player that he was in Denver can help every single team around the NBA. Anyone can use that version of Jeremy Grant. And I think the money, you could wrap your head around it if, you know, he was willing to take on that lesser role and kind of do what the team needs from him. If he has to go somewhere where he's demanding a number two role, that's where like, you know, you look at the teams that we just mentioned, Portland, Washington. That's why, like, I think those teams are the ones showing interest because, by default, he would be that guy, especially if Portland trades CJ McCollum. Uh, it's interesting because those are the kind of teams that are left in the running for him. So it does make me think uh, any other team that would have used him in a different way probably bailed. Uh, and they probably were scared off by, you know, the fact that he did want to be used as a top option. So it's the combination of the two scare me, to be honest. I think the the role probably is more concerning, but I, I don't know. I think it's pretty tough. Like he's, if he, he's obviously not, um, I think he thinks he's better than he is. And that's no disrespect. Uh, I think he's a really, really talented player. And in the right situation, he can be excellent and really help a team. But I think he wants to be viewed as one of these top guys that can create his own shot and score. And that's really not who he is. So any team that's acquiring him, and that's why I think the teams that are left are the teams that are so desperate. uh, And they just want to make some kind of splashy move. um, It's it's really tough. I think uh, it's he's kind of the hardest guy, in my opinion, to figure out what his value is and, and what the market is for him. Also dropped a, a, a new breakdown on Jeremy Grant for DBB on Monday. So go check that one out as well. But I kind of highlighted that I do think the role you're talking about, Alex, is where he is best suited, like catch and shoot in the corner, um, catch and rip through and one, you know, maybe one change of direction as he goes to the rim. We don't have to get into the weeds here, but like not a true ISO guy, not a true like bucket getter, go get his own, not necessarily a creator. I don't even think he's a great passer. Like he makes some nice reads at times, but the passes aren't even always on target. And so I I agree with you in terms of the role for him. But so we keep talking about these teams and that's what, as you listed them, other than the Blazers, if they had Dame and CJ, obviously he'd fall in third in line on that. But the Wizards Kings or if CJ was moved that was what I thought too like he would probably go be in the role that he wanted to with those teams so I have to ask this though like if you were those teams is that a good move like I I hate to say this as a Pistons fan who wants good return but like I don't think that's a good move for those teams then would you agree with that yeah, it's interesting. We kind of talked about this during our, our show earlier and Mark Schindler was saying, you know, he would hate this move for the Wizards and would be so against it. But I think you have to keep in mind if 
if they if making this move allows them to keep Bradley Beal or making this move for, you know, a team like Portland keeps someone like Damian Lillard happy, then there's an ulterior motive here. It's not just about, you know, what he's going to do on the court. Um, I think that's part of it, too. And now, granted, following what Beal wanted hasn't really worked that well in Washington because <laughs> he was the one pushing for Spencer Dinwiddie and we know how that worked out. And now there's, you know behind the scenes drama there about that so maybe listening to your player and and going after a guy uh just out of desperation isn't necessarily the best move and maybe it would come back to bite them especially if he's asking for that you know big extension that you're going to be on the hook for so i mean i i wouldn't necessarily make the move i was the gm but i can talk myself into it and understand i guess i can understand where they're coming from and see their justification but no if it were me i wouldn't make the move uh you know these are teams that are all in a really crappy position, you know, whether it's Washington, Portland, Sacramento. And I don't think Jeremy Grant is going to fix that, their problems. I think they would have, you know, uh, just a new set of problems. So it's a strange position to be in, but it almost feels like they're just trying to make the splashy move so that they can keep someone happy and kind of stay afloat a little bit longer, but it does feel like they're delaying the inevitable. So I don't mean for you to like ruin or spoil anything that you guys dropped Monday in your own episode, but were there any trade scenarios thrown out with those three teams that that you could share with us real quick? And again, I don't mean to spoil anything. And I still want our listeners to go check out what you did at Basketball News. But you said like Mark Schindler said he didn't like the one for the Wizards. Did, did Mark or somebody else on the panel throw out a possible trade or a possible return for Jeremy Grant from the Wizards, Blazers or Kings? We didn't really get into specifics as far as what would be sent out. We just talked about the report, you know, about those teams being linked to him. Um, I think we did rule out like Brooklyn just because it seems like they don't have the assets to really get that done. Um, that's the thing. I mean, again, if, if a team doesn't come with a intriguing offer, then the Pistons, it's not, they're not just going to trade him to trade him. They're going to hold on to him and, you know, try to push this down to the offseason. So uh, I don't know exactly what these teams would be offering. I, I'm, I'm just as curious as you are. And I, I also think like the Wizards, they've been linked to Sabonis too. And that that's an interesting you know, situation because it's kind of the same problem where I think I'd rather have Sabonis, but you know, I don't think he solves their problems either. And it seems like that's another move that they'd be making just to keep someone like Bradley Beal happy. So uh, I'm not sure exactly what would be, you know, uh, incoming for the Pistons in that scenario, if it's coming from the Wizards or the Blazers. I think there was a, uh, there were some reports about like Rui Hachimura and some of these, these young guys could be potentially sent out. But again, that goes back to if I was the GM, I wouldn't be making that move if I'm, if I'm watching it. I'd rather keep my young core intact and, you know, see what happens. But uh, yeah, I'm very curious to see what happens with Jeremy Grant. I guess who would you want as, you know, a Pistons fan? Who are some people that you'd want back from either Washington or Portland or Sacramento in these scenarios? So the Wizards one, I actually had a chance to go on a Wizards podcast and they sold me on Denny Advia. Am I crazy yeah. for like, I mean, I'm not saying just Denny Advia, but like Denny Advia, I think you have to throw in the Bertans contract just to make the money work. Maybe Thomas Bryant. And I really like Thomas Bryant. I know he's coming off the knee injury and I don't always get to watch a lot of teams outside of the Pistons. So I don't know exactly how he's looked since he's come back, but I really liked him pre ACL injury for sure. Um, is Denny Avia a guy that you would really like to have, like, kind of construct this trade around, or is that is he not a good enough talent for that? Am, am I overshooting that with Denny Avia? I don't know if he's good enough alone, but I think that's what the report was. Basically, that Washington wouldn't have a shot at Jeremy Grant without Denny and or Hachimura. Like, they might yeah, have to include yeah. both of those guys. You know, 
I, I do like Denny. I think he has a lot of potential. You know, he's 21 years old. Uh, Troy Brown Jr. was in Washington last year, and he's actually one of our writers at Basketball News. So I've spent a lot of time talking to Troy about Denny and some of these young guys that are in Washington. Now, obviously, Troy got traded to uh, the Bulls, but um, there was a people, I think Denny has a lot of fans in Washington, and he has a lot of potential. So I don't know if they would be willing to make that move, if they'd be willing to include him. But if you could get those two guys back and maybe a draft pick, like again, Mike Scotto said that the asking price for Detroit is, you know, two first round picks and expiring contract or young player in a first round pick. If you can somehow swing Denny Rui in a first round pick, I think that becomes pretty interesting. But uh, I, I'm also not sure how many picks the Wizards have to trade. I need to go look to see. I think the John Wall trade has yeah messes that up right if i'm not mistaken I think you're right too because we were looking at possible trade destinations for like brad or um spencer dinwiddie and thinking okay well who could make sense uh you know could they attach some first round picks and i want to say the first pick they have to deal is like 2026 so that could complicate things um so yeah i, I think denny's a good player I, i'd be curious to see what else that is in that package for grant and if that's enough for detroit they may feel like they, they're better off you know, taking one of their offers or waiting until the offseason. So I want to ask him about one that Pistons fans love to talk about. It's been talked about since the beginning of, of all of this, this season, the trade, and that's the Bulls and Patrick Williams. So one, do you think that makes any sense to the Bulls to like go all in? Obviously, Patrick Williams, I believe, you know, is out for this season. Um, does it make sense to trade for a guy like Jeremy Grant and like really go all in, try to win it? Maybe they can win it without Jeremy Grant, as is. I don't necessarily know that they can, but maybe they can. And can they turn loose of an asset like Patrick Williams? Like, are we living in a dream world as Pistons fans thinking there's any sort of chance of that happening whatsoever? I don't think so. I actually had uh, that trade down as one of the ones that I like as a possibility. And I know uh, the Pistons would like to do that. I think uh, James Edwards has reported that, that, you know, they'd be very intrigued by a Patrick Williams offer. Um, And I see what you're saying. You know, Williams, I think there's a chance he might be able to return. Uh, That was like what was reported last from the wrist injury. But it's no guarantee. And if they could try to go in all, you know, all in on the season and land someone like, like Jeremy, maybe that's interesting. And obviously he wouldn't be playing that number one or number two role there, but maybe that works out for the best. And he can play that, you know, Denver Jeremy Grant role that we've talked about and become a really key contributor for them. So yeah, that's an interesting one. I think uh, if you're the Pistons, you have to do that. Being able to bring in someone like Patrick Williams, that's like the ideal kind of player that I'd be targeting if I was Detroit. You know, I'm sure we're going to get to this, but Guys that if I'm Detroit, I'm going after young, high upside, buy low targets around the league. And Patrick Williams is like a perfect example of, of someone that makes a lot of sense to bring in. It's a low risk, high reward move. You know, even like someone like Kobe White, too, is interesting yep. to me. Yep. Um, I think those are the kind of guys I'd be targeting if I'm Detroit. So um, if I'm the Pistons, I do that in a heartbeat. It just it's a matter of the Chicago think they can win it all with with Grant coming in. Uh, That's a big question. Is Chicago willing to do it? It sounds like based on the most recent reports that Chicago is not one of like the teams that's been showing the most interest in Grant. So something would have to change between now and Thursday. But I do like that deal for the Pistons a lot. Yeah, no, I think I would be super excited about that. And we will talk about some other players kind of in that mold, maybe not as good as Patrick Williams um, in just a second. But I want to ask this question. You've brought up Sabonis a couple times. We'll talk more in depth about him specifically a little bit later when Wes comes in with Sheeter Sham and Ben Simmons as well. But is Ben Simmons now the domino that everybody's waiting for? You know, we're recording this Monday evening. We've had two trades. Um 
but it seems like there's a lot of, you know, reports going on. This is going to happen anyway, but like, is that what's going on right now? Or like, are we waiting for the first domino to fall? And is it going to be Ben Simmons or maybe it's Demonis Sabonis? Is it, are those guys going to be the first ones to go? I think people are waiting on, you know, the big domino to fall, but I don't think it's Simmons. I think uh, it's looking like Simmons might stay in Philly through the deadline. Um, I think Daryl Morey really wants James Harden. And as long as that possibility exists, I don't think he'll settle for one of these offers from a team like Sacramento or Atlanta or Toronto that they've been having conversations with. I know they've had talks with the Hawks about you know, John Collins, Bogdanovich, uh, Gallinari, and they'd be, you know, moving Tobias Harris back with Simmons. That's been talked about. I know that the Raptors have been talked about, but I I think he really wants James Harden. And if he believes that's a realistic possibility this offseason, I don't think he'll settle for one of these lesser deals. Um, So I I don't know if Simmons is going to get moved, but I do think teams are waiting for that next domino to fall. I think that domino is Sabonis. It kind of reminds me, the the situation the Pacers are in right now kind of reminds me where the Orlando Magic were last year, where, you know, they traded Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, and Vooch. And like after the Gordon trade, people were like waiting for them to make those moves. And uh, then finally Vooch gets traded and then Fournier does too. So I feel like, you know, we saw the Pacers made the Karis LeVert trade. And then now people are kind of waiting to see, okay, is it going to be Miles Turner? Is it going to be Sabonis? Is it going to be both? Uh, I think they're one of the biggest sellers to watch. And this is a year where there's not a whole lot of sellers. That's one of the big things to keep in mind too about this deadline is there's a lot of buyers out there and there's not a lot of sellers. So that's one of the reasons why someone like Karis LeVert returned what he did, because if your team is trying to add like a notable veteran that can be a difference maker, there's not a ton of options out there. So teams that are sellers have some leverage right now and, you know, they can ask for quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, I think the the Sabonis thing is probably the next domino to fall as far as like big dominoes. But uh, I'm curious to see where he ends up. Mike Scotto, who I mentioned, was on my podcast last night, the Alex Kennedy podcast. He said that, you know, we've, we keep hearing Washington and Sacramento being linked to Sabonis, but he thinks that there might be some dark horse team that comes out of nowhere and lands Sabonis. Uh, and it, that kind of reminds me of like the Vooch thing last year where no one was really talking about Vooch to Chicago or even Vooch being traded. And then day of the trade deadline, all of a sudden there's this monster blockbuster deal uh, sending Vooch to Chicago. So I'm curious to see if some team can emerge as like a dark horse and just out of nowhere land Sabonis, uh, you know, stealing him away from teams like the Wizards and Kings. But I think he's the domino people are kind of waiting him or Miles Turner. You know, they're the two guys uh, that I think are two of the bigger names that could be on the move. Uh, CJ McCollum, I would throw him in that mix too. Now that there's a lot of rumors linking him to the Pelicans and Knicks, and it's sounding like he might get traded. So I think those are kind of the next dominoes we're waiting uh, on. And I think a lot of people around the league have accepted that Ben Simmons might just not be traded this uh, deadline. So last question here with Jeremy Grant, where do you think would be his best fit? And and I'm not going to ask you to make the trade. I'm not going to ask, you know, would Jeremy Grant be happy? Any of that stuff. Like what team in the league, and this may end up being like, hey, this team came out of nowhere because like this just fits really well, even though we're not talking about it right now. Is there a team in the league where you just look at their roster, where they're at and go, man, Jeremy Grant would really, really help that team? That's a really good question. I think like of the teams that are, you know, showing interest in him right now, Sacramento is interesting of the teams that, you know, we talked about just because uh, I can get behind that more so than Washington or um, Portland. And I think like, you know, he could be utilized in an interesting way there. And maybe he is willing to take on a little bit lesser 
a little bit lesser role and, and play that uh, the other kind of role we've seen him thrive in if he's in Sacramento. And again, they're a team that's desperate right now. They're trying their best to break that playoffs uh, streak, playoff drought. So that's the team that kind of is most interesting to me uh, of the of the teams that are remaining. As far as teams around the league, so what about like I've heard the Jazz. We've heard reports of the Lakers. They make a lot of sense. I just don't know what they have. I mean, they yeah, have yeah. no assets. So. What about the Miami Heat? Yeah, I actually like that a lot too. Like these teams make sense, like, but I think the Lakers have zero chance. You know, they're trying to shop Taylor Horton Tucker and Kendrick Nunn, but no one's interested. So they're going to have a really hard time adding a big difference maker. You know, I think there's plenty of teams out there that can, you know, top that offer. Um, but yeah, teams like Miami or, or Utah do make sense. You know, they're they're going all in on the season. Uh, they they could use what Grant can provide. So yeah, those are those are good ones. I'm just not sure how realistic they are. Um, I know Utah was linked to Grant and they've also been linked to like Harrison Barnes, but I think the Joe Ingles injury kind of hurts them a bit. That was something that they were, you know, they were talking about moving Joe in some of those scenarios. So I don't know if those are realistic, but as far as like the fit, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what it's hard to make like a, a trade match with Jeremy Grant because of the things we started this talking about, like what he wants, what another team yeah. would want from him, sees him as, you know, I spent a whole podcast trying to put Wizards packages together with the Wizards guy and like we, we could never do it. And it's the same thing with the Lakers, the Jet, you know, on down the line. I, I want to move on to... to the face of the, the Pistons franchise and Cade Cunningham. And you've mentioned a couple times, specifically with Bradley Beal, keeping a star happy. So, you, you know, me and you were emailing back and forth a little bit leading up to this. And you talked about how, like, you really liked, like, the asset management, the team building, those type of things with the team. So I want to ask this. Does Detroit have to be careful with how they go about this rebuild with Cade Cunningham? Like, some fans are completely comfortable if they tank again next year, not finish off this year, but, like, next year tank again. And some just want, you know, as many first-round picks and as many bites of the apple as possible. Is that what the Pistons should still be doing, is just acquiring as many of these assets as possible? Or is there a little bit, like, they have to be careful and make sure they're putting real legit talent around Cade Cunningham? It's a great question. I am a big believer in having veterans around a player. I think they can help a lot, not only on the court, but off the court, you know, teaching professionalism and really leading by example and those kind of things. You know, there's plenty of examples of teams that didn't have those kind of veterans in the locker room and it didn't work out. uh, And the players really would have benefited from that. But I'm also someone that believes, you know, those those kind of veterans are replaceable and you can find plenty of them. I'm someone that probably agrees with the Pistons fans you were just mentioning that you want as many swings in the draft as you can get. I'm all about first round picks. You know, if you can trade someone like a Corey Joseph, or I know you had asked the question, uh, Frank Jackson. I know there were a lot of Pistons fans that were thinking it's not worth moving Frank Jackson for a late first round pick. If I was the Pistons and I'm the GM there, I'm all about that. Like I think having first round picks is huge because not only are those swings in the draft that could help you land a big difference maker uh, I, and put you know key pieces around Cade Cunningham, it also gives you the flexibility to be able to wheel and deal and, and make some interesting trades because teams value those first round picks so much. Like someone like Frank Jackson, he's going to have way, a first round pick that you acquire through from Frank is going to be worth way more to other teams than Frank is. So I think if it's me, I'm trying to load up on those first round picks, get as many swings through the draft as you can. And then if a year or two from now, there's a disgruntled star out there and you have multiple first round picks, you could try to get in the mix for that star and try to, you know, wheel and deal and, you know, land someone next to Cade. So I understand the concern about continuing to lose. And I think there's a right way to go about it, you know, putting the right pieces around Cade and, and, um, 
there's definitely a right and wrong way to go about it. But I would be someone that for one or two more years would be totally fine just trying to get as many first round picks as possible. And then I think after that, then you see what you have in Cade. By then he's ready to kind of take on that role and, and you know, lead this team to the playoffs. And, and hopefully you have one or two other key difference makers around him. And I think that also unlocks a lot of these other players in the roster. Like uh, Scott Hale, our CEO at Basketball News, is a big Pistons fan. So we, you know, we talk about the Pistons and I was talking to him earlier today and there's so many guys that are on this roster that on a playoff team, they would be like a, a really key piece that would make a lot of sense. Like, you know, if Sadiq Bey was on a playoff team, he'd be a great three and D option. If Killian Hayes was on a playoff team, he'd be a really nice, you know, bench guard that can lead the second unit. Isaiah Stewart would be like an amazing backup big that could provide tons of energy. Like these are guys that can help a playoff team and have a lot of, uh, I think they they fit with a lot of different teams around the league right now, but because of the situation they're in, they're being asked to do more than maybe they should and take on additional responsibilities and it's harder for them. But I think if you can go out there and land another star player, either through the draft or, you know, grab multiple first round picks and trade some of them, I think that's the best move. And then hopefully some of these pieces like a Sadiq Bay and a Stewart and Hayes, maybe they kind of can actually play the role that they're, best suited to uh, if this team can become a playoff team in two, three years. No, and I think that's a really good point. And I've talked about that before. It's like almost everybody on the roster is playing a role one level higher than what they should be. You know, like exactly. if they're the number two option on the Pistons, they really should probably be a number three. It's just the Pistons don't have a number two guy, so they don't have any choice. And of course, for the listeners, if if you're not on Twitter, this came from a James Edwards III, a good friend of the podcast. He's actually coming on on Saturday. We're going to record um, post-trade deadline, Pistons trade deadline, and and recap everything but he brought up, you know, would you trade Frank Jackson for a late first round pick? And I think a lot of people just immediately went like, duh, of course you would. And I understand that. But I also like for me, and this is probably short sighted. And that's why I love your answer, Alex. I look at it as like, well, you're just recycling the same type of player. Like Frank Jackson gives you 10 to 12 points. He's a 35% three point shooter. And he's going to be a you know, a guy that can score off the bench. Like, are you really expecting more than that from a guy at the end of the first round? But your argument to me, let me, I want to make sure I get this correct is, but you might hit on a star or you might be able to package that as an asset for something bigger. Yeah, hundred percent. I get what you're saying. Like he's a known commodity versus the unknown of a draft pick, but I think draft picks have so much value in trades. So, you know, being able to land another first would potentially give you the flexibility uh, to, you know, wheel and deal and make some more moves. Or like you said, if you just use the draft pick, then you never know what you're going to hit on. Even if it's a late first round pick, there's examples. I mean, Desmond Bain was a late first round pick. There's plenty of examples of guys that, you know, outperform their drafts uh, stock or, or their draft spot. So I think that's where I'm someone that believes you get as many swings in the draft as possible. Um, and especially like someone like Frank Jackson, like we just talked about, he's playing a key role on this Pistons team, but on, you know, most playoff teams, he's not going to be utilized that much. He's replaceable, uh, in terms of what he does. And so, and that's no disrespect to Frank Jackson. Like, you know, I think, uh, you know, really good player. He's definitely talented, but, um, you can find someone else to play that same kind of role. Whereas, you know, a first round pick, they don't come around that often. They have so much value. I would definitely be someone that's trying to load up on first round picks. And then, you know, in the offseason, try to find other veterans you can put around 
like, you know, if you're moving like a Corey Joseph, try to find other veterans you can put around this young core and try to find some replacements for someone like Frank Jackson or Trey Lyles or these pieces that you're moving off. So you just brought up a couple names and, and we can kind of hit these somewhat quickly, Alex. But and, I, and I'm, again, I know maybe you haven't like watched every minute. Obviously, you haven't of these guys, but these are guys that are having decent seasons for the Pistons. So you can tell us big picture NBA wise. Uh, with a Corey Joseph and we'll just categorize him as a veteran point guard that maybe could lead the second unit for probably not a championship team, but a team that's contending in the playoffs. He's had a solid season. He's shooting well from three. Is that something, is there a team around the league that you could see maybe be interested in Corey Joseph and him get moved at the deadline? Yeah, absolutely. I think someone like that, you know, that is proven uh, is so valuable and they're always going to be attractive to other teams. Like I look at a team like the Pelicans, who they've been linked to a ton of guards. I know Brian Winhurst reported that they've been really aggressive and basically shopping for guards. Uh, They've been linked to like De'Aaron Fox, CJ McCollum, Eric Gordon. So some of the bigger names, but if they're not able to land one of those guys, they still will need guard help. Absolutely. So, and they're talking about, you know, being buyers because they've been playing better recently. They're expecting to get Zion back at some point. And, you know, they want to have some guards that can, you know, play alongside their, their front court. So I think that's where someone like Corey Joseph makes a lot of sense. He's not going to cost a ton and you know what you're going to get from him and and he can be a reliable option for them. Or even like a team like the Suns, Alfred Payton has really struggled, uh, especially recently. So, I mean, if you're a team like the Suns that are trying to win it all this year, they've been linked to Eric Gordon as well. But if that doesn't happen because Houston's asking for too much or they move him elsewhere, you know, maybe you go after a guy like Corey Joseph that can step in and and help you, um, you know, they have campaigned too, but I think someone, one of these teams like that, that needs backcourt help. I think uh, Corey Joseph is a great option for these teams just because you know what you're going to get. And he has a great contract too. Yeah, yeah. He has a real, I think it's 5 million. He does have a player option next year. And another guy that has a great contract is Trey Lyles. I think it's like somewhere in the 2 million and it's a team option. It's a club option for next year. He's kind of came in and played a small ball five out of necessity. And I actually think that's where he fits best. He's not going to be really, he's definitely not going to be a positive on the defensive end, maybe a neutral at the most. Um, he's actually rebounded halfway decent, but what he brings is floor spacing on the offensive end. Now the ball sticks a little bit. Pistons fans will tell you like they don't always love watching him play but the stats you know there's been production are there any teams out there that maybe could be interested in someone like that for their second unit I think he's a bit less attractive than someone like Joseph just because I think when you talk about someone like Corey Joseph you know there's a ton of teams out there that would be you know in need of someone like that whereas with Lyles it's a bit harder to find exact fits but I do think if the Pistons have the opportunity to trade him again going back to kind of my way of doing things or or the way that I would kind of manage things as a GM, I think someone like that is replaceable. You can you can find someone else that can step in. You know, he's 26 years old, so he's not super young either. You know, not not going to really line up with Cade Cunningham's timeline like you know you would want. So I, I think I would try to move him. Uh, I don't know what you can get back in return, but if you can get you know a pick or two, second round pick, I think you would look at that. Okay, so this is a guy I absolutely do not want to move. So for anybody listening, you guys all know how much I love this guy. And I'm not saying move him, but I wanted to ask, and he's not necessarily a vet, and he's a guy that does line up with Cade Cunningham's timeline. But what about a guy like Hamadou Diallo? What What is just... I'm just curious more than anything, Alex, like what, what kind of demand could he maybe have on the trade market as a younger athletic wing on a good contract? He's had some really nice games whenever other guys were in COVID protocol. He started some games this year. What kind of market may a guy like that have, whether it's Tommy or somebody in that mold? 
Yeah, I wouldn't move Hami either. I think he's played really well. He's 23 years old. You know, he provides a lot of the athleticism that, you know, this team needs. Uh, I, I, you know, he's versatile. I think he's the kind of guy that you want to keep on the roster. Again, going back to uh, people that like, I would target if I'm the Pistons, you know, we mentioned a lot of those young guys that just have a lot of upside and, and you hope that you can bring them to Detroit and develop them and see what they become. You know, I feel like the teams that would be interested in Hami are, are looking for that exact same thing. They, they see someone that is super athletic, 23 years old, you know, was a five-star prospect, uh, you know, earlier in his life. So they're thinking, oh, we can bring him here and, and see what we get, especially because he has shown flashes and played really well when he's got an opportunity. So I think there would absolutely be a market for someone like that. I'm not sure exactly what teams would be willing to give up, but if I'm the Pistons, I'm keeping him. I'm not even having conversations about him at this point, you know, unless it's some crazy offer that you have to consider. But I think he's much, he's more valuable to them than he is as a trade asset. I agree. So we've mentioned this a couple times now, some guys that maybe the Pistons should be in the market for. So, you know, we, we all know the Jeremy Grant thing. We've talked about the vets, Kojo, Lyles, like maybe those guys could be interested, Kojo more than Trey Lyles. What about some guys that maybe the Pistons should target, um, depending on what assets they would have to give up? But you know, the name that a lot that has been coming up a lot is Marvin Bagley Jr. from Sacramento, a, te- a team we've talked about multiple times already on this podcast. So I want to get your thoughts on specifically Marvin Bagley Jr., but other guys in that mold that may be available around the league at the deadline. Yeah, I think someone like Bagley makes a ton of sense. That's exactly the kind of player I'd be targeting if I'm Detroit. You know, he's 22 years old. Um, he has a ton of potential. And sometimes, like, I know he hasn't played as well as people would have liked, and he's definitely struggled in Sacramento. Some of that, I think, could be attributed to the situation. But then some of that, too, like, we've seen situations where these these guys, uh, you know, are traded, and that change of scenery is it makes the world difference for them. You know, they really uh, step up and it kind of changes their outlook on things and um, it kind of lights a fire in them. So Marvin Bagley is a great example of someone I'd be targeting. Um, you know, we mentioned Patrick Williams, someone like Jalen Smith in Phoenix. Okay, yeah, that's another name I've seen more off like the last few days. I think he makes a ton of sense. You know, if you're a team that's young, that is looking for these low risk, high reward type moves, and you know, Phoenix is trying to win now um, and might he, you know, they're making him available according to reports. It makes a ton of sense. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, Aaron Neesmith, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, James Booknight, like any of these guys that aren't playing as much as they should be on their current team. And, you know, maybe they've not really lived with their expectations uh, just yet. Um, I think those are the kind of guys that I'd be trying to buy low on and bring them in because they all do fit the same timeline as Cade Cunningham. And maybe that change of scenery or a different situation is what they need to kind of break out. And a lot of these guys that we're talking about are guys that were picked very high in the draft. So to be able to get them just a few years later for pennies on the dollar, I would jump at that opportunity. I know Mitchell Robinson, someone that uh, Scott Hale, I mentioned our CEO, that he's a huge fan of that. He feels like this team needs a lob threat. Um and for whatever reason, the Knicks aren't really valuing him. They're not really playing him a whole lot. So, and there's been rumors that he could be available. So, someone like Robinson makes sense. Even like Cam Reddish is apparently available again, which is crazy to me. But there's reports that the Knicks could look to flip him before the deadline. He's another guy that is still very young and is looking for you know the right situation. And he's shown flashes when he got a chance to play in Atlanta. So. I know there was a report that, you know, Tibbs didn't want to make that deal and that they could look to move him again. So like any of those young guys that we just mentioned, I would be all over and trying to work the phones to see if they're available uh, just because, you know, their current team's not playing them. So maybe they don't value them like they should. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously Scott Hill is, you know, in the same boat as the rest of us as Detroit Pistons fans with the lob threat. Like, we've just been clamoring for that. And everybody loves beef stew, and I'm sure Scott does as well. But you just would love to see Cade and Killian with a guy that can really go up and finish like that. And and I just want to say, you probably made every Pistons fan day as, as like, I connect the pieces here. You you brought up Kojo to the Suns and then Jalen Smith. Like, let's just make that trade happen, Alex. Like, Kojo for Jalen Smith. Can we do that one? It's beautiful. I like it. It's crazy too, because as of like a year ago, there were reports that the Suns were shopping Jalen Smith and there was like no interest around the league. And part of that was because, you know, he hadn't really played at all, hadn't really got a chance to show those flashes. But this year we've seen more from him. So maybe that's part of it. But, um, you know, we saw that they didn't, uh, they declined his, uh, his option. So that's pretty rare to see. And I think a lot of teams see that and wonder, wow, you know, do we really want to take a shot on this guy? His own team doesn't even want him around uh, any longer. But yeah, I mean, that's a great trade to me. It's a win-win for both sides. I think something like that would make a lot of sense. But I know there's a number of teams showing interest in Jalen Smith, apparently. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, any of those young guys, I'd be, I'd be trying to get it from the Pistons. Okay, so we're, I'm going to bring Wes in in just a minute, and we're going to get into Sheeter Sham, which will lead us into like some general NBAs, the, the big names around the league. But I have to ask, because you know whether it's what you've seen or talking with other people at Basketball News, what are your thoughts on... Let, let's get some quick thoughts here. Let's go through just a few guys. One, we've like gone a whole episode barely talking about Cade Cunningham. So what are your thoughts? I know, you know Matt Issa wrote an article. Mark Schindler's wrote an article. They both came on the podcast and talked about him. What are your quick thoughts on Cade Cunningham? Yeah, I've been impressed. I think, you know, he got off to a slow start, obviously, you know, was injured earlier in the year. So it took him time to kind of uh, find his footing and, and be able to play to the level he's playing at now. So I think early on, there was a lot of overreaction to, you know, some of his struggles and stuff. But I've been impressed. I think, again, it kind of comes back to the situation, too. He's having to... Uh, I think early on he was being very passive and wasn't taking over games. And you see that sometimes from guys that are super young and, and coming in as rookies and they don't want to step on toes and they're deferring to veterans. But I think now he's taking over games more, you know, he's playing much better and he's in a position right now where, you know, he has to create for himself and do a lot of everything. You look at like an Evan Mobley in Cleveland who has just a lot of talent around him, multiple, I guess not multiple all-stars since Jared Allen didn't make it, but you know, multiple talented players around him, you know, he can, kind of just play his role there whereas someone like Cade has to put the team on his back but I think he is a really really good player I'm excited to see him develop in the coming years and I think Detroit has a really good one and I'm excited to see how they build around him going forward absolutely well quick thoughts on Sadiq Bey I like him I think um you know he's pretty inconsistent he's kind of hot and cold but um I I think again if he was in a different situation uh, like on a playoff team he would be someone that we're talking about as like a great three and d option but in Detroit he's having to create his own shot and do a lot more than you know he would probably in his ideal role um but I think he's very very talented I like him a lot you know I, I know we had talked before the show about you know who are some guys on this team that could be a long term starter and after K I think the only other one that I would kind of pencil in as a long-term starter potentially is Bay. So Agreed. Um, I, I like his game. Um, I think he's, he's very, uh, he still has untapped potential and I'm excited to see him develop in the coming years. Okay. So a guy that's really got Pistons fans excited over the last couple of games because he's performed well, Killian Hayes. He's interesting to me because I wonder how he fits next to Cade Cunningham. Um, You know, he's moved to the bench recently and that allows him to do more things. But unless he changes his game and can play off ball and and be more of a catch and shooter, I don't know how that fits in alongside Cade Cunningham 
you know, long term, unless he is just going to be that second unit guy that can be more aggressive and kind of run the offense in the second unit. But, you know, you want the ball in Cade's hands and, and Killian's not an off ball guy. So I wonder what that fit looks like going forward. But you have to remember, he's 20 years old. He's had so many injuries, so we haven't got a chance to see him play a ton. Um, you know, I know uh, there was a comment recently, I think from the coaching staff, that said he's essentially a rookie still because he's played so few games throughout his career and he hasn't really been available. So um, he's definitely shown flashes, and I think he's looked good since he moved to the bench. But I am curious how he and Cade fit together long term. No, I agree. And I, I think it's all about the off ball for Killian because you're not going to necessarily make Cade change his game, which I do think Cade could play off ball a little bit more. But I know it's not great value as a number seven pick, obviously, for Killian to be your second, you know, leading your second unit. But he has he has looked really good. And I think there's some better opportunities for him. But we got about 10, 15 minutes left in the episode. And then we definitely have to get Alex going. I know he has other things going. Such a busy man. I'm so appreciative that he took some time for <laughs> us. So I'm gonna bring in Wes. Wes, get in here. Start us off with Sheeter Sham and get into some general NBA trade targets. Yeah, so we're going to go through uh, a lot of big names that are getting floated around. And Alex, so Sheet is true, ball don't lie, right? And Sham is false. So I'll ask you the first one. Um, you know, I'll ask you the first one first since you're our guest here. It's on Ben Simmons. So had to go back to last season, uh, Sheet or Sham. Ben Simmons recorded career lows in points per game, rebounds per game, and assists per game. Sheet or Sham? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to say Sheed. I'm going to say Sham. It's Sheed. Gosh dang it, man. See, I'm- and that's where I think it's such an interesting position that the Sixers are in because he's coming off that kind of year, obviously coming off a horrible postseason. And then every year that they're not playing him, you know, A, he's not showing what he can do and reminding people that he's a defensive player of the year runner up and that he's, you know, this still a really good talent. But he's going to get older, too. So when they keep talking about like, oh, this could drag on for two, three years, I think that's a big mistake. And that asset's only going to get less valuable. Uh, You know, he's not going to be able to return the same kind of things that he would if you were trading right now. So they're playing a dangerous game out there. So the one that keeps coming up here recently, Alex, is, and I know it's not going to be straight up Ben Simmons for James Harden, but, you know, there would be other tertiary pieces. Well, not tertiary. There may be bigger names involved in that, too. You know, not Durant or Irving, obviously, but maybe on the Sixers side. Do you like that for either team? I I understand why the Sixers want to do that. Um, You know, I I think Daryl Morey loves James Harden, and and as I think they, they like the idea of having the Harden and Bede duo and they feel like they can make that work. Um, I just don't know if Brooklyn's willing to do that. Um, I, Mike Scotto on my podcast mentioned that Maury wants to get this done before Thursday because if you do enter a situation where over the offseason you're trying to sign and trade for James Harden, then all of a sudden uh, the Sixers are hard capped and that that limits their flexibility and kind of impacts what they can do. So I do think that there's a reason the, the Sixers are trying to get this done now. Um, but if I'm the Nets, I feel like uh, I don't know if I'm pulling the trigger unless James Harden walks into my office and says, I don't want to be here. I'm not going to resign. Then you really don't have a whole lot of leverage or a whole lot of uh, options. But uh, and I don't know how Ben Simmons would fit with, uh, you know, Brooklyn's core, the other two pieces there. So I I don't love it for the Nets. I do like it for the Sixers, but it's kind of a weird situation. Okay, well, just one answer. Just give me a team. Who is the best fit for Ben Simmons? Hmm. I didn't put this on the outline. I'm sorry, Alex. I kind of no, caught you off guard here. I like, so there's been talk about like Atlanta and I kind of like Atlanta. Okay, yep. Um, 
I know we have to move on, but I think that makes a lot of sense. Surround him with shooters. They can kind of build around him and Trey. I like, I kind of like that fit. Uh, okay. We can stay on it. It's okay. Um, sorry, Wes. I see Ben Simmons, if he would accept it, being like a really good in the Draymond Green type role. And so that's why I've always wanted to send him to Atlanta or Portland, like playing with guys. I'm not saying they're Steph Curry, but play a little bit in that mold. Do you think I'm wrong there? Like, am I way off base with that? No, I 100% agree. And, you know, there were reports that he doesn't want to play that role and sure, the Sixers sure. tried to put him in that role. So I think it's tough to get him to convert to that. But if he would, I totally agree with you. He'd be amazing in that kind of role. And that's where like imagining him in a situation like Atlanta where you put a bunch of shooting around him and, and have him play that role would be so much fun. But for whatever reason, I wonder if like this whole situation, the way it's all went down, if he is going to be more open-minded to some of those changes, just because maybe this whole, you know, maybe a change of scenery and some of the stuff would uh, change his outlook on that. I hope it does, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I just, I wish I would love the world to see. I'd love to see a world where he decided he was willing to do that, but yeah. all right, Wes, send us number two, Wes. All right, we're going to jump on to John Collins. Bryce, I'll ask you first. So we're going to throw out his rookie year because he played a little bit different of a role. So excluding that rookie year, this is the least number of shot attempts per game for John Collins' career. Sheed. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Sheed too. It is Sheed. All right. So Alex, John Collins in Atlanta. Um, is it an unhappy with his role? Is he a bad fit? And does he get moved? It's interesting. We talked about this on our show earlier. I am curious to see what like down the road, you know, whenever we do hear some of the things that were going on behind the scenes, if we get some details about what's happening, because if you, he seems like such a perfect fit to play alongside someone like Trey Young, you know, he's a good three point shooter. He's a great athlete. You know, he's very, very talented. I like his game a lot. Um, I, I have heard that there's some concern about like the luxury tax with Atlanta because they're going to have to pay DeAndre Hunter here at some point. They have, you know, paid a number of different guys, but I just think in, and Collins is their highest paid player. Um, but I just think he's such an important part of that team that there almost has to be something going on behind the scenes. Like we had heard the rumor that, or the report that, uh, he and Trey got into it during like a film session and, you know, they've kind of butted heads a bit. So I feel like there, there has to be something like that going on behind the scenes, because if you're just looking at on the court and his fit and his skill set, I think he makes a ton of sense for this team and alongside Trey. So, you know, I think there's more information that we don't have here. John Collins for Jeremy Grant, who says no. <laughs> I'm going to say Atlanta says no for that one. Uh, okay. John Collins, if they actually made John Collins available, I think they could get a lot in return. Like there were rumors that he was, you know, being talked about uh, as a possible centerpiece for a Ben Simmons deal. Um, you know, there's, I think Collins would be a great fit on a lot of different teams and there'd be a long list of potential suitors for him. The thing is though, like it sounds like they're not going to trade him before the deadline. That's what Mark Stein and others have reported that, you know, they're going to push this decision off to the offseason. But I wouldn't be surprised if in the offseason, Collins is the kind of guy that can bring back, you know, either a big name player or multiple first round picks and uh, that kind of like big package. All right, Wes, uh, Alex has gotten both correct so far. I got the last one right. So he's up by one right now. Question number three. All right. And on question number three, we'll uh, go back to you first, Alex. And since we've already talked about uh, Demonis Sabonis a little bit, we'll go and do Miles Turner. So, Sheed or Sham, Miles Turner averages 30 minutes per game. I'm going to say Sham. I'm going to say Sham also. I'm going to stick with my gut instinct. It's Sham, but it's real close. He's at 29.4. He loves doing that, man, Alex. He, <laughs> it, it, this is Wes's thing, man. It's like Sneaky. my I figured it would be like 29.9. He loves to do it like by 0.1. So, Miles Turner, what's the market for a guy like that? A rim protector, 
uh, three-point shooter can stretch the floor from the five spot. I would love to have him in Detroit as well. What's the market going to be for a guy like Miles Turner? Yeah, the market's huge. I mean, he's still just 25 years old. He's one of the best shot blockers in the league. He has shown that he can shoot the three. He's been a little less efficient in recent years, you know, dropping down to like 33% shooting, but he has had years where he's shot, you know, in the 38, 37 uh, range. So I think uh, that's, he's definitely an interesting name. There's a lot of teams showing interest in him. I'm, I think his injury complicates things a bit. Uh, and there's still some teams showing interest in him, but not as many uh, since he started dealing with a stress reaction in his left foot. But um, a team like Charlotte, I think, is perfect for him. It makes so much sense. I would love to see that kind of move happen. And they've been linked to him quite a bit. So I do think there's a strong chance we see him get traded by Thursday uh, just because the Pacers seem ready to rebuild. And this is a team that the Pacers haven't been willing to do that in the past. They've really just kind of tweaked and retooled. They really haven't been willing to blow it up. But based on everything that you know, you're hearing, it sounds like there is going to be a rebuild in Indiana. So I would not be surprised to see Miles Turner on a new team. You mean my guy Mason Plumley's not getting it done for the Hornets? <laughs> I guess not. And hey, it's crazy. They're talking about moving PJ Washington now too. That was a report that came out, which surprised me. Um, but yeah, they definitely need someone like Miles Turner. Uh, a team like Toronto too has shown a lot of interest in Miles Turner, and they want to be buyers of the deadline and, and bring in a center. So yeah, there's plenty of teams right now that are interested in Turner. So don't be surprised if Indiana can get quite a bit back in return. Got you, got you. And and I'm just it's all love for Mason Plumley. It just he's an easy guy to, to clown a little bit, but I do he know is. I I do know that he is a very good NBA basketball player and we've missed his short roll passing this year in Detroit. Uh Wes, let's try to get two more and we we only have a few minutes, but I think we can squeeze in two. So give us your best two. Alex is up by one right now. He hasn't missed one yet. All right. Uh last two. So we're gonna go to Washington. Bryce, I'll ask you first. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie has never shot above 34% from three in his career. Sheed or Sham? Sheed. Sheed. Sham. Oh. Oh. He did it one year. There was one year off the bench with Brooklyn in 2016. He shot 37 and a half. Not okay. never above 34, wow. though, since then. Yeah. It is interesting, though. I, I've been, you know, doing like a number of articles recently on Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Karis LeVert. Like some of these guys, it's crazy to look at their career percentages. Like someone like Karis LeVert has just been inefficient his entire career. Like he's a guy that can create offense, but he doesn't do so efficiently. Someone like Dinwiddie, especially this year, is shooting really, really poorly. Um, that That's an interesting one. Yeah, that's what I, I noticed that with, somebody put that on with Levert for me as well. Like whenever all the Indiana stuff came out and I was like, no, Levert, you know, a scoring wing. Like that's what we need. We need to pair someone like that or, or, or guard wing uh, next to Cade Cunningham. They're like, yeah, he's not really that efficient, you know, whatever. And so when you really start to look at the numbers, it's kind of interesting with guys like that. Yeah, for sure. I know a lot of people were like, oh, it's because he's coming back from, you know, the health stuff last year. But then you look back at what he did in Brooklyn, too, and the numbers aren't very different. I mean, this is kind of who he is. So, yeah. Dang, I'm I'm bummed that I got that one wrong. (laughs) Final one here, Wes, and then we're going to get Alex out of here. We'll stick with the Wizards then. So, uh, Bradley Beal, and since we're going to end it, we'll uh, send this to you first, Alex. So, uh, Bradley Beal leads the Wizards in assists per game. Sheed or Sham? Hmm. I'm going to say Sheed. I'm going to honestly stick with my gut, even though it means I'm going to lose, but I was going to say Sheed as well. It's Sheed. Yep. Yeah, because Dinwiddie's not, you know, his his assists are really low this year. And yeah, that makes sense. Well, so Beal's at six and a half, right? And Dinwiddie's at 5.9. Actually, he's second. Oh, okay. That's not as bad as I thought it was. Um, 
It's so crazy too, because like Beal over the offseason, you know, was pushing for Dinwiddie and they talked about recruiting stars together and all that. And like, it's crazy to see where they are just a few months later. It seems like things have like went downhill really, really fast in Washington. Does uh, Final question here, Alex, and then I'm going to give you a chance to plug and let everybody know where they can find you. But th- does Bradley Beal get moved at the deadline? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, he's not, you know, demanding a trade. So I think uh, it's possible that, you know, it's, it's always possible that he goes and demands a trade between now and then. But based on everything that's kind of come out, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, as fun as it would be, it would be really fun to see him moved, but I don't think it's going to happen. Fair enough. Fair enough. Alex, man, thank you. I, I had a blast. This went so fast. I wish we, I mean, I, w- I wish we could go another hour and talk. I know the listeners probably wouldn't be here for it. And I know you have other things to get to, but I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And, and Wes did definitely want to have you back. And right now I just want to give you a chance. Let everybody know where they can find you, everything you're doing, the amazing basketballnews.com website and everything else. Well, I appreciate the kind words. And yeah, that was a ton of fun. Thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah, make sure you guys check us out at basketballnews.com. You know, we're producing exclusive articles, podcasts, videos every single day. Uh, Like as I mentioned, Thursday, we have that NBA trade deadline show from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern time. You can check that out on Twitter, YouTube, Twitch. Uh, You you can find that all there. You can go watch the replay of today's show where we uh, broke down kind of all the rumors around the league. That's on our Twitter account right now. And then a new episode of my podcast, the Alex Kennedy podcast dropped last night with Michael Scott from Hoopsite. We went through and talked about every notable player and team uh, that's kind of popping up in rumors with the trade deadline approaching. So definitely uh, check all that out and appreciate anyone supporting basketball news. Absolutely. Make sure to check out all that stuff. They have great content. I check out basketballnews.com for for my stuff. So make sure you guys are checking out all that. And as always, I want to finish off the episode thanking Wes Davenport for everything he does for myself and Motor City Hoops as a whole. I also want to thank everyone for listening to and supporting the podcast week in and week out. And we have some very, very exciting news that we will drop very soon, probably next week, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, we're finally going to drop that news and it's a game changer for Motor City Hoops. So make sure you guys stay tuned for that. Motor City Hoops will be back this Thursday night with an instant recap episode after the game versus the Grizzlies that will also have my instant recap and reaction to the Pistons trade deadline activity. And then we'll have Pistons beat writer for The Athletic, James Edwards III, on the podcast for a special Sunday morning episode drop to get his thoughts on everything at the trade deadline as well. Thank you, go Pistons, and we'll talk to you soon. Pistons need a three, they have to double three seconds to do it. Here's Chauncey Phillips.